Well, Northside family, it is a joy and honor to be with you this morning. We know there's a full house in here, and so would you welcome everybody in our video venue real quick to say, hey, we love you, and uh, so glad you're part. And uh, didn't, if you were part of last weekend, didn't Ephraim Smith do an unbelievable job last weekend? If you didn't get a chance to catch that, uh, it's going to be better than today. I'm just going to say it. And I want to encourage you to go back. On, we can speak the truth here. And I want to encourage you to go back online and catch his sermon uh, because it is one. I'll never forget the phrase that he introduced us to when we talk about this idea of fighting for our relationships. When he unpacked in Ephesians chapter 4 this idea, if we're not careful, especially as Christians, of relational robbery. And how we will rob one another of each other's joy and our peace. And sometimes we can rob one another of our innocence and purity if we're not careful. And God has called us to more than that. He's called us not to rob one another, but to be a resource to one another. Matter of fact, 945, uh, you guys bought all of his books, right? And we had to tell the 1130, wait till next week. We bought more of his books. They are out in the resource center if you want to pick that up after service today. Uh, But the reason why we're doing this series and the reason why relationships are so important is because our relationships reflect our relationship with our Heavenly Father. That if you want to know how good your relationships are, you don't have to look around to the other people. You need to begin to reflect on how your relationship is with God because how that relationship is, is how you're going to be with one another. And this is why we've been walking through this series, why we've been unpacking this, and this idea of fight for it. And you're like, Nate, what are you talking about when we're supposed to fight for our relationships? This is the idea that God has fought for us. That God saw us in our sin, like Sam read from 1 Peter chapter 2. God sees where we are, and he doesn't go, well, once you kind of get your life together, I may pay you a visit if you're lucky. It's not the heart of God. The heart of God sees us and says, I am willing to fight for you so much that I'm willing to send my son because for God so loved the world. And what you can really translate that to say is this, that God fought for the world. And he fought for the world with his love. And he redeemed it and he sent Jesus and he's inviting us into this relationship because here's the reality with our relationships. If we're not careful, our relationships can knock one another out. You ever had somebody say something to you? Maybe, that, maybe there's a phrase from somebody, a, a classmate from 20, 30 years ago, or from a teacher, or from a parent, or a family member, and still today you can repeat that phrase because it did so much damage to your soul. And you go, that relationship actually knocked you out. Maybe it knocked you out of church for a number of years. We're very aware here that for some of you, you're here today and you're going, this is my last chance. Nate, if this sermon ain't good, I ain't coming back, right? And I'm like, oh, dear Lord, help us, right? You know, but seriously, some of you are here today going, this is my last chance on church because what has happened in my past, the relationships that I've experienced has actually knocked me out of my relationship with the Father and it's knocked me out of other relationships around me. And this is why we're saying today, God is going, I have fought for you and I want you through what I have fought for you to fight for one another. This is what it means to be the church that we fight for each other. We don't fight with each other, we fight for each other. And we come alongside each other and we build one another up. And here's why we've been walking through Ephesians chapter 4 when Paul starts in this section by saying this, if you want to fight for each other, you got to be honest with yourself first that goes, hey, i got to recognize I'm a broken person and I need Christ to make me new. And what happens is this, when Christ begins to make us new, he goes on to say this, in your anger do not sin. 
which means this, you and I are still going to get angry even as Christians. The question is, what are we doing with our anger? And are you fighting with it or are you allowing God to fight for you through your anger to do a holy work in your life and in your relationships? And then Ephraim talked about our purpose last week, that as a church we have a purpose. You might not know what your purpose is, but God does. And he's saying, I am inviting you into that. And today as Paul closes this in Ephesians chapter 4, he closes talking about your needs and my needs. And some of you guys just rolled your eyes going, we're going to talk about our feelings today, Nate? Oh, man. No, 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 right? We're not just talking about feelings, but here's the deal. Every relationship, every person in here, we all have needs. Now, some of you are a little bit needier than others, right? And uh, you are known as high maintenance, okay? And maybe nobody's told you that, right? And to your face, but you're going, oh, man, they are high maintenance. Or we will describe each other going, oh, I love them because they're low maintenance. Matter of fact, this is one of the reasons why I love my, I fell in love with my wife so quickly. Not just she was beautiful, but I was like, man, she, she's just low maintenance. Matter of fact, this is just one way. She wouldn't tell you this, but she had a friend when she found out that uh, I proposed uh, to Ruthie. One of her friends said, listen, I bought this really expensive wedding dress. And if you want to borrow it for your wedding, you can. And my wife went, sure. And I'm like, you are incredible. <laughs> you are an angel, right? You know, literally, I just love the low maintenance going, I don't need to spend, you know, a thousand or fifteen hundred dollars on a dress. Right. Right. I'll borrow somebody else's wedding dress. And I love it. And we love it. Here's the deal. Even if you're low maintenance, all of us have needs in this room. But the problem is oftentimes we don't know even what our needs are. For some of you, you have a need right now to go up and to be in a deer stand and kill poor Bambi. <laughs> all we ask is that you would tithe off whatever you kill if you skip next Sunday, right? You know, and, and bring it by the church office. Summer sausage to the glory of God, right? Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> Some of you have a need for speed. You love fast cars, right? You love your type A, man, let's get it done, let's go. There's a need, there's a gear. You go, this is how I work. For some of you, you go, no, I don't wanna go fast. I, I, I need my space. I need my space. Matter of fact, you're like, oh man, my row is already packed in here. I don't like it this morning, right? I, I kind of need my space. Some of you though, you need to talk with other people. It's in you. Matter of fact, I took one personality test and my buddy, it was a trainer and he said, uh, Nate, he goes, you're not codependent, uh, but you literally can't get done anything by yourself. And I'm like, oh, that's not encouraging. But what he was saying is this, he goes, you're so relational. What you have to be aware of, Nate, is you need people for you to enjoy life. You need people. See, we're all wired differently in this room. There are needs in this room. And it's not just feeling and, you know, kind of gushy feelings, all this stuff. But there are core needs in our soul that God has wired us with in relationship to say this is it. Matter of fact, uh, my daughter yesterday, my seven-year-old daughter, she let me know of her two needs for Christmas this year. Daddy, I just want, I need two things for Christmas, a puppy and a phone. You are seven years old. You need socks. <laughs> She's allergic to dogs. I'm like, you can't even have a dog in the house. Dad, I just need a puppy and a phone. See, here's the sometimes deceiving thing about the needs 
that we have in our heart and our life. When we perceive them as a need, this is what will happen in our life. The need leads. And the need begins to drive our heart and the things that we begin to see as our needs begin to lead everything. And here's the reality of it, guys. We will get our needs met, won't we? We're gonna get our needs met. One way or another, the only question is this, are you getting your needs met the way that God has designed you to get your needs met, or are you creating the way to get your needs met? It's interesting, one of my favorite books that I read during premarital counseling when I got engaged to Ruthie has sold over 12 million copies, it's called The Five Love Languages. And it's by a Christian author, I highly recommend it. And what the Christian author did was this, he, he wrote it out and he said, there's primarily five love languages, five needs that people have. And you, you might have a couple of them, but you primarily are in one of them. And he said, this is why marriages oftentimes go sideways is there's a need that somebody has and the other person doesn't meet that need. And what we're doing is this, we are giving love the way that we want to receive love, but that's not the way our spouse receives love. It could be words of affirmation. It could be quality time, acts of service, gifts. There's these five different things in there. And what happens is this. If you love words of affirmation, you're telling your spouse all the time, you are beautiful. They're like, okay, well, take me on a date. You are gorgeous. And you keep speaking words of affirmation because that's what you need, but that's not what they need. And what happens is this. If we're not careful, we'll let our needs lead in a relationship and it'll be like ships passing in the night. And after a period of time, we'll say stuff like this. I don't know what happened, but we're just not the same anymore. And what we're really saying is this. I'm no longer getting my needs met. This is happening in the business world as well. Uh, there's a couple business books and personality tests out there. Strength Finders 2.0 sold over 5 million copies because what the business world knows is this. We need to know what your needs are, who you are, and how we can meet your needs or you're going to leave our company. Over 2 million people a year take the Myers-Briggs test to understand who they are because bosses know this. People don't leave companies. They leave bosses. And they're going, if our boss isn't for you and our boss doesn't meet your needs, you will leave us. Hundreds of thousands of people have taken the Enneagram test now. And there's nine different personality tests. And what it does is it, it be, makes you self-aware of what your needs are so that you can become more aware so that you can grow. See, our relationships, it's not about all this gushy stuff. We are very complex people. But here's the deal. This is why Paul wants to clarify, and this is why I'm excited about where we're going today, is this. What if God has already clarified for you and I what our core needs are, not just as his creation, but as his church? That you don't have to go and wonder what your needs are. Matter of fact, today, we're gonna, Paul is going to identify three needs that says this. When you wrap your life around these three needs, whether you're in high school, whether you're in college, whether you're married, single, widowed, retired, it doesn't matter. He's going, these are the three needs that the church needs to embrace for you to have the life that God has created for you. See, our relationships matter no matter what season you're in. Some of you are going, Nate, I don't always know what my deepest needs are. God does. God knows what your deepest needs are. You might say, Nate, I don't know how to get my needs met. God does. God 
does. This is why Paul begins to share this in Ephesians chapter 4. And, and, and this is what I really believe. As I was studying and praying over this, this passage has trans, like, transformed my life where I'm going, I don't care as long as I live, my life is now around this because God is saying, I have created you with these needs. I will meet these needs, but you have to allow me to fight for you. So you can fight for your relationships. And I'm telling you this right now, if you begin to apply these three things that Paul lays out today, not just as the church, but in your marriage, in your friendship, in your everyday life, I'm telling you this, you will live a life that God designed for you to live. It will transform everything. Listen how Paul finishes this section here. When he says this in verse 29 of Ephesians chapter four, he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Now, some of you are going, Nate, I counted. There's a lot of needs right there, right? Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Get rid of bitterness and rage and anger. Be kind, be compassionate, forgive each other. Nate, don't you know I'm going to have to see my family this week? Could we talk about another passage, right? You don't know how many Cousin Eddies I have in my family, nay, you know? Somebody said this, if you can't think, if you have a Cousin Eddie in your family, chances are you're the Cousin Eddie, all right? And, uh, <laughs> we see this passage here and we're going, whoa, right? And, and we hear a lot of times, you maybe have heard that verse before, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And then we quit quoting the rest of the passage. Like the goal of being a Christian is just to not cuss. I mean, that's a good thing, right? That's not the supreme thing. Matter of fact, if you're taking notes, here's the first thing that Paul says actually is the deepest need that we need to begin to align our life to is this. Your need as the church and our need in this life is this, to build others up. To build others up. Now, some of you are going, Nate, that's not my need. I know. This is why God needs to begin to transform your life. If you listen here, Paul says this, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And actually that whole word unwholesome isn't just about cussing. Sometimes like, oh, just don't cuss. Or we'll say stuff like this, don't cuss in the house of the Lord. If you're gonna cuss, go out to the street. Because <laughs> God's like, you can cuss anywhere else, just not here. No, right, like God's not out on the street corner. And see, so many times we build this up and actually that phrase, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, means simply this. It means words that come out that can destroy people's worth and esteem. You don't even have to cuss to destroy somebody. Sometimes you don't even have to say anything. You just have to look at somebody. You're just like, oh, okay, okay. Paul says this, the need that we actually have as the church is building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. That actually your deep need is to build others up. It's to come alongside others. See, our words aren't neutral. Our words are either bringing life or our words are taking life from people. 
Matter of fact, James, Jesus' half-brother, says it this way in James chapter 1, verse 26. He says, if anyone considers himself religious, if anybody considers himself a Christ follower, a follower of Jesus, yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, and in the Greek it says on Twitter and Facebook as well, he deceives himself and his religion is what? Worthless. Worthless. See, we got to be careful because the words we say can actually make our life and representation of Christ worthless. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you get to say whatever you want. Just because you've, well, I got baptized doesn't give our permission. Actually, your need and our need as the church is to build one another up. This is why Paul says, build them up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. See, this is the life of Jesus. He even says this in Mark chapter 10, the son of man didn't come to be served, but to serve, to build people up, to come alongside folks. I know this, uh, this has been a heavy week. I've talked to a number of different people within the life of Northside here and for some of you, you're here today and it took everything you had to just get into this room today. You contemplated going, I just don't have what it takes today. I don't have anything to give today. And you are walking into this room absolutely depleted. And the church, Paul says is this, the church is meant, and can I just, I think Paul is challenging us here. Paul is challenging us here that if we get our minds around this, it will change everything. And here's what he's challenging us with. What would it look like if every time you came to church or in your marriage or with your kids or in your workplace, this was your thought? How can I be a benefit today? Not who is here to benefit me. I mean, what would that look like for us as a church if every time you showed up in this place, you showed up going, who can I benefit today? God, point them out. God, soften my heart. God, would you help me pay attention to those around me? I mean, what would that begin to do for us as a church? See, this is why when we collect 1,100 shoe boxes for Operation Christmas Child, it's because you guys are saying this. No, 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 no. Life isn't about just me benefiting. I am here to be a benefit for others. Oh, I may, I may never meet that kid who opens that box, but I am here to be a benefit for them. I'm here to step in for them. This begins to change everything about our lives. This begins to change our marriages. This begins to change your identity. This begins to change your calling in high school. What would it look like for you to walk in your high school and to go, no, I'm here to benefit my high school. I'm here to walk in and to bring Christ because I know the greatest need in my life is to be someone who builds others up. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 through 4. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, meaning this, maturity is not putting yourself first. Maturity is putting others first. But in humility, consider others better than yourself. It doesn't mean belittling other people. It means being aware of your own brokenness. So when you see other people, you go, I'm not better than you. I'm very aware of how broken I am. And because of the grace and mercy of Jesus, he has redeemed me and he has sent me to be a benefit to you. Each of you should, not, should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. 
How do you build others up according to their needs? You know, it just starts by this. Paying attention to who they are around you. Just paying attention. Who are they? What's their personality? How would it benefit them? I found out that there's some personalities that don't like to be asked what's going on in their life. Can you imagine that? I'm like, let's talk, man. I'll baptize a wall. I'm like, I think you need to go, right? You need a new foundation wall. It's Jesus. You know, like I'll just talk to whoever. And there's some people who are like, no, 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 no. You're creeping me out. Just be kind to me. See, oftentimes we only want to love people the way that we want to be loved. And Jesus goes, no, I want you to pay attention to those around you. And I want you to love those according to their needs so that you can build them up. I remember the time, it was 20 years ago this year, my dad, this this phrase and this conversation still rings so vividly and true in my mind. 20 years ago uh, is when I was first called into ministry, and I remember the conversation, it was in our kitchen in Las Vegas, and I began to tell my dad, hey dad, I think God's calling me into local church ministry. Uh, But my greatest fear just in life, and it's been this way since I was a kid, I didn't want to say I was afraid of failure, so I'd just say I was cautious by nature. And uh, really, I was afraid of failure. And I knew when I was called into ministry, I'm like, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow my dad's shoes, and I'm going to be compared to my dad, and he's going to probably compare me to him, and I know I'm going to compare myself to him. And, uh, and so I began to just have this conversation at, around the dinner table with him that night, and I said, hey, Dad, I feel like God's calling me into this, but I just want to let you know, and I, and I said this, I'm just sorry ahead of time that I won't live up to your expectations. And I'll never forget the words he spoke to me that night. He said, Nathan, the only time you will fail me is if you don't do what God has called you to do. Breathe life and freedom into me. I'm telling you, church, our need is to build others up. Some people have never heard the love and grace and mercy of Jesus. And it is your calling and our calling and our need to build others up so that they can know who their heavenly father is who fought for them, amen? Man, this is our calling. This is our need. Second thing is this. Some of you are going, man, I love it, but I don't know how to do that. Well, this is why Paul says this. It's not just that we build others up. It's that we have to give God control. Your need is to give God control. Control. This is why he goes and says this, don't grieve the Holy Spirit whom you were sealed with for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the work of God in your life. God is working. Give him control. And he's saying this because here's what happens. What will end up happening is when you grieve the Holy Spirit, what always ends up happening is this, you grieve your guilt later. Every time you're obedient to the Holy Spirit, every time you step into what the Holy Spirit calls you to do, doesn't mean everything will work out perfectly around you, but you will never regret doing what the Holy Spirit has called you to do. The biggest regrets in my life is when I paid attention to my mind, not the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul is saying. He's going, you'll never regret this. He says, let let him have control. Don't grieve it, Jesus. And some of you are going, who is this Holy Spirit guy? 
Sometimes the Holy Spirit can be like, uh, you know, the, the redheaded stepchild of the Trinity, right? Jesus, God, Holy Spirit's over there, you know. You grew up with Holy Ghost, you know, oh, kind of weird or whatever over there. And Jesus says, let me clarify who the Holy Spirit is. He's telling his disciples this. He's going, because it's good for me to go away, and it's good that the Holy Spirit's going to come so that he can take control of your life. And he says this in John chapter 14. He says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, the counselor, you have your own counselor in the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. See, this isn't about your wisdom and my wisdom. It is about you and I and our need to give God control of our life and to go, God, would you counsel me? Would you teach me all things? Would you remind me of the words of Jesus? He says this a couple chapters later, and he said, when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, and he will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come, and he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. See, we don't need to fear and grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is your guide. God wants to take you on this journey. He wants to take you in. He wants to meet your needs. He wants to give you the life that he's created you for. And he goes, it's not about your wisdom trying to figure out life. This is my presence. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit in your life. Begin to let him guide you. One of my favorite stories I heard from a Northsider about a week or two ago, uh, she's a retired school teacher. And uh, she got here early one day in the service before the greeters were handing out bulletins. And she didn't have her Bible with her, didn't have her phone with her. And she came in and she was walking and she was walking around where we have the free pens. And she felt the Holy Spirit go, pick up a pen. She's like, what? Like, why? I don't even have paper. She said she just kept walking. Just like the Holy Spirit just kept impressing on her heart, pick up a pen. Fine, whatever, you're the guide. And picks up a pen, goes, sits down, service is over. She turns around and she sees her former principal that she worked for. And she said, hey, now that I'm retired, I, I've been wanting to come back to the school and mentor kids. Do you have any mentoring programs? And he said, actually, I've, trans I've transferred to another school, and one of the biggest things we need to start is a mentoring program where I'm at, and I would love for you to come in here and help us lead it. Do you have a pen? <laughs> do, 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 right? Like, you know, looking around. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit wants to guide you and I and meet our needs that we don't even know sometimes we have. She's now one of the leaders at his school, leading the mentoring program, helping invest in any kids. The Holy Spirit wanted to guide her into that. The thing is this, she needed to give the Holy Spirit control of her life. One of our greatest needs is allowing the Spirit to control this. Because Paul goes on and he gets into the real rough stuff here. And he says, not just to, that we aren't supposed to grieve the Holy Spirit, he says this, but you and I are to get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander along with every form of malice. It's like when a brother and sister fight, right? They're bitter about something. Then the name calling pursues, then they start fighting, right? And if mom and dad separate them, right, and you can't hit them, now you just start slandering them, right? 
You're just calling each other out, making fun of each other. And then when you go to your room, you don't go to your room to cool off. You go to your room to think about how you can get revenge. (laughs) Only me? Okay, all right, you know. And I say that in a brother-sister idea, but I'm telling you that happens in our life, in real life. I mean, you get bitter with somebody. And that bitterness doesn't just stay to bitterness. That bitterness changes to rage and to anger. And if we're not careful and we don't allow God to have control with this and to guide us out of this, what will quickly begin to happen in your heart and my life is this. We'll begin to let it control our life and control our thoughts. And all we begin to do is the word malice is all you do is you begin to dream about other people's doom and destruction. And what ends up happening is this. One, you are no longer allowing God to control your life. But the furthest thing from your mind is building others up. And now you're far away from your needs. See, this is why we got to let God have control. But how do we let him have control? He goes on to say this. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Come on, Thanksgiving week, really? But here's how. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. You know what your soul's actually deepest need is? It's to be forgiven. It's to be forgiven. See, this is the beauty of God. He never asks you to do something he hasn't done for you already. He's already fought for us. He's already come after us. He's saying, I'm not asking you to forgive those people who have done you wrong. I'm not even asking you to act like it wasn't a big deal. It was a big deal. What I'm saying is this. I need you to forgive them. I need you to be kind to them. I need you to be compassionate to them. I can't do that. I know. So let me forgive you so I can change your heart. And here's what happens. When we begin to be people who are forgiven and we let Jesus meet us there, We begin to move into letting him have control of our life, and it moves us into building others up. But here's what Paul is getting at with this whole passage. Here's your deepest need. Your deepest need is this, that you and I would let Jesus meet our deepest need. See, the problem in our life begins to be this, when we think a career is going to meet our need, or we think a spouse is going to meet our need. Actually, the quickest way to have your spouse let you down is to let them be your savior because they can't save you. See, the beauty of Jesus is this. He comes into our life and he meets our needs. And he says, not only am I here to meet your need, I am here to take you where you can't go by yourself. Right now, our volunteers are going to go back to get ready to serve communion. And here in a moment, when we take the bread and the juice, I'm going to invite you, if you're a follower of Jesus in this moment, maybe your head is kind of swirling going, wow, man, I've been looking and trying to meet needs and have other people meet my needs, and man, I am all over the place. And in this moment, when we take the bread and the juice, and if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, hey, feel free, just let the tray pass. But I want to invite everybody to begin to reflect 
on what is the greatest need in your life right now. See, oftentimes this is our problem. We think our greatest need in life is puppies and phones. If I can just get this, then everything's going to change. When Paul says, no, our greatest needs in our relationship and in our life is to be forgiven. Because when we are forgiven, we can begin to let God have control. And when God has control of our life, our life is no longer about us, it's about him. And he goes, I want to use your life to build others up. And so as you think about this during this time, as we reflect on what Christ did for on the cross for us. What need do you need him to meet today? You need to experience his forgiveness. You need to be reminded of that. Maybe today you're trying to control everything and you're going, okay, God, I need to give you control. Or maybe God is saying, hey, I'm ready to work in and through your life to build others up, for you to embrace your calling to be a benefit to others. Let me pray, and then we'll allow Jesus to meet our deepest need by re remembering what he did on the cross for us. Father, God, maybe for some of us here today, I know this week myself, I didn't see this passage turning out this way. I didn't see you lining this out for us this way, but God, you did because you know what we need even when we don't know what we need ourselves. And so, Father, I pray for us right now as we wrestle with this in this moment, as we reflect on what you've done for us, as we align our lives to you, as we give our lives to you, as we allow you once again to control our lives, our decisions, our hearts. Jesus, would you help us? Would you help us to let you redeem and meet every need in our souls? Father, you created us you love us. You have fought for us. May we receive your forgiveness today once again. And may we understand the love and mercy that you have shown for us. And may we run in the path of your commands. For you have set our hearts free. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Let's take communion together.